2: everybody and welcome to a special programme on the Radio Show Limited network of audio and video channels. Nick Damon and me Chad Hindorff at the London Classic Car Show.
1: Hey. Uh,
2: and and we're two
1: London cla- well, I'm a Londonish classic from Kent and you're a northern classic. I-,
2: I would like to think so now. Just behind us now on what is effectively a boulevard right up the middle of the exhibition hall. Painted up like a road with uh, pedestrian crossings. Uh, Citroen Mary. Uh, That's M-E-H-R-I, not M-A-R-Y, heading up, which is their little sort of beach buggy thing, heads up a a Citroen display. And the nice thing about this classic car show, Nick, is it's not just stationary exhibits. And you're very excited about this two-door svelte Citroen that's about to go down the road.
1: Well, they haven't just randomly chosen Citroen, John. It's a 100 years of Citroen motors, probably up until their... Uh, Sublimation by Persia. But I would think you have to say the most yeah, innovative manufacturer, almost certainly in the world, and, uh... and an engineering company as well. Of course, the Citroen Double
2: V. Is, uh, came about that, that logo uh, from the meshing of gears which is what they were all about in the start Now tell me a little bit about that silver ghost that is just running down I don't mean a Rolls Royce silver ghost but it's very quiet and very stately Hydro pneumatic suspension as many Citroëns of its era did
1: wider at the front than the back and something that you know a lot about because it has a particular engine it's the um, it's one of those many things a car which was unloved in its time but now become respected as an ultimate classic it's the Citroën SM the ultimate uh, incarnation of the kind of conceptual thing that started with the DS in 1955 as you say a suspension and of course most importantly a Maserati engine because for a very short amount of time Citroën owned Maserati in between everyone else owning a Maserati and then being bankrupt uh, up until they were rescued by the uh, Fiat group in 1995 Yes. Yes. and sailing the way as always um, but yes, yeah, so the, the SM, of course, Maserati engine, sleeved down from the Merrick engine from 3 to 2.8. Do you know why it was sleeved down to 2.7 litres?
2: Because of French tax laws, oh. I presume.
1: Absolutely, yes. Why so many Italian sports cars have ast- asthmatic 2 litres in them. blooming tax. Grrr. But it couldn't disguise the fantastic good looks. And the it being launched in 1970, it almost epitomises French in the 70s. You can see Serge Gainsbourg going out in the car, picking up some little effete waif and then giving her a number one record and then discarding her in the same car on the same day
2: i uh, just driven past us as a very lovely uh Citroen uh, uh Citroen van going through but, but just before that something that i've always wanted which was, was a Citroen DS DS19 in fact DS of course um DS the letters D and S but pronounced DS DI SSE, effectively, uh, meaning goddess in,
1: in French. And, of course, there is a UK connection with the DS. Made in Slough near the Mars factory. In fact, of course if you look in um, pre-war it counts as a British car so it didn't in, 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 it ha- come on again tax regulations, it counts as a British car it made many, many thousands, both Traction Avant and a number of the other machines uh, right up until, I think they were making things about 1955 were well, in the UK but uh, a bit, a bit like, beyond that, 65, I think yeah. 65, and um, uh, obviously that they, they moved some of the, uh, the building around, of course we had French cars made at right and Persia. The interesting thing you talk about the, the DS and you look at the and, and having walked around a bit before we got here, they kind of epitomised one of the themes of this show now. And the theme is, we'll take cars which may be a bit problematic in their, in their day, but we can sort them now. Modern stuff. We'll put some modern things in and they're absolutely sorted, be it the leaky suspension, be it the UK car, dodgy electrics, whatever it is. And nowadays you have these cars which aren't actually re- recreations. They're not necessarily massively upgraded. They're just modernised to a point where you get almost the current stands of reliability well if you would be taking home of these
2: Citroëns the SM which I'm sure you would in front of me now is the car that I would like have out of that the Citroën DS decapotable, the convertible uh, made in very very That's a small terrible word but decapitated Decapitable Uh Made in very very small numbers, coach-built cars uh, with the chassis sent away to be pulled down. A two-door convertible, but a four-seat convertible, adequately being displayed in front of us with a a couple of gentlemen in the front and a lady in the back who looks very comfortable. Um, That would be the one I would take home. But probably the most important Citroens of of recent, more recent times, the GS going down to the far end. There's a Citroen Xantia here as well. The Citroen GS, of course, originally was meant to have the Wankel rotary engine but it was the car that I think probably most people in the 70s and 80s would uh, associate with Citroën, other than the 2CV of course and it could do that party trick where you didn't get a jack you got a stick because you cranked the uh, hydroelastic suspension all the way up you threw the stick onto the corner and let it down and it actually, I have seen it done whereby it was, it, I've seen one driven with only three wheels on it, with a rear wheel missing. You could crank it
1: up and drive it with three wheels. Very French. I'm sure police camera stop action wouldn't be approving uh, with three wheels. And, and of course it had a single, um, single uh, stalk wheel. Yes. Uh, which was well, a lot. Even my dad, had a couple of Citroens towards the back end of his uh, driving career, and they were, it was kind of, they were a big fat stalks, not of thin stalks. They were kind of anyway, keeping that uh, single-spoke yes. styling cue going. But yeah, I mean, it's I think it's very uh, uh, sadly, there's, there's, a, there's a big Citroen display, and they have a, a kind of a silhouette of all their cars, and you go, traction on yes, DS, yes, SM, yes, and then and then they go Citroen Zara Picasso. No, no, that's not a classic. That's just something you're trying to sell. The
2: great thing about classic car shows and this one here at London is no different is the uh, variety of cars that are on view and the history of design and engineering is uh, being celebrated uh, here with a giant of British car design. Ian Callum, for such a long time, uh, associated with uh, Jaguar uh, and uh, to a certain extent with Aston Martin uh, as well and a number of his designs here, uh, including uh, 123 Astons, including the DB7, which effectively is a Jaguar XGS underneath, dare I say that here? Probably not. Uh, the uh, RS200 Ford as well there, which was um, whispered built by Reliant, um, with a little bit of help from Tickford. Uh, the CX75, still stillborn uh, Williams Engineering Supercar from Jaguar with a hybrid engine, Uh, never got to.
1: Was it pure electric rather than hybrid? uh,
2: I think both to start with, but yes, let's let's have a wonder over the back as well, because there's something over here that I've not seen before. He was also involved with the Volvo C70, the Nissan R390 GT Le Mans cars, uh, the Jaguar XF Sport brakes, pretty much all the Jaguars, Uh, and of course, many people's favorite, the little Ford Puma back in 1997. But there's one round the back of here that I've never seen before, and I'm interested to know what um, Nick makes of this. This is the RD6 concept, which is sort of, think of a Mercedes A-Class, but the Jaguar uh, build it. That, that's a Julieta. rear. It's a very Julieta. rear, yes.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a concept back from what sixteen years ago. But one of the I suppose the indications of good design is you could probably release it today with a slight update to the uh, to the front flanks no one would notice. It's
2: got a concept that's been taken on by Hyundai actually because it's got a, a, a small rear door on actually both sides. But the um, the car is uh, has got hidden. Door handles on the back, so it's a bit sort of Mazda RX-8 and uh, Hyundai Veloster with the secondary door on the back. It has a look of a VW Shirocco at, at, at the back. At the back, but at the front, it's all Jaguar, and this was some of the design language that has made its
1: way into the XFs and the XEs. This, this front is wearing the S-type. Just a little bit of a, a look in the uh, in the interior. And this is, this is a 2003 concept. This would have been the ultimate desire. And you know, what it's got it's got an 18-inch screen. They imagine you get a screen in the car. And now, of course, in the modern uh, interior, you have at least three screens. And you haven't got one, the whole front is actually a, a virtual cockpit. Obviously, many of them. But uh, that's the, the, that's really I think where the big movement's been is the way the interior now incorporates the uh, the infotainment, the modern technology, information, everything else.
2: Past the eighth generation of Jaguar uh, XJ, having owned several Jaguars. In my time, I have to say the brand is leaving me rather cold at the moment. Uh, although I'm told that the I pace, which is in front of us, is a very good car, um, as is the F pace, which is also alongside us. Still, however, it's nice to see that the new owners, Tata, have uh, have gone back to the 1960s and 70s with their uh, issues with uh, with quality and reliability and
1: industrial relations. Yeah, well, yes, uh, true. Let's, let's leave that one there, shall we? we?
2: Probably should. Um, cars that you can look at cars that you can buy here uh, as well um, there's a big industry now around classic cars now
1: yeah absolutely I think, it's an inter- I think the, the, from a personal note I think also from yourself John one of the things I've, I started driving in the early 80s um, and in the early 80s you had to do everything yourself and then you have this marvellous period where you have cars that don't break down you go fantastic and then you go this is really dull. I actually want to start fiddling with mechanics again. I actually want to work on the car. And, you know, I, I think you kind of choose a car which which talks to you. I have a Triumph TR40, which well, tri- I'm a Triumph man. I had a Triumph, I had a Triumph. But, yeah, you're obviously a Porsche guy. And, obviously, the interesting thing is... I've
2: evolved into a Porsche guy. I didn't start as a Porsche guy. But, it's
1: interesting, as time moves on, the word classic moves on. So, now we're seeing a lot of the fast uh, hot hatches from the late uh, the late 80s, early 90s, the Sierra Cosworths and everything else. They're becoming the cars people are to collect. And it, and the only thing I think about this, I think it's a fantastic movement, and it's being very well served now by everything, from finance to repairs to modernisation. But you are going to, I think, hit a... a Glass ceiling of time because at some point you're going to hit the day mid 2000s when computers took over, and then what can you do? Well, when BMW aren't making a replacement computer for their 320i or their M4, you can't make one of those up in a lathe. No, somebody will though. Somebody well, will. Let's have a chat about this Sierra
2: Cosmouth four door, the booted version. This was the uh, slightly uh, less Larry, not the uh, five. this is a C- Sapphire Cosworth uh, I had friends who were Ford people back in the day I was a Roots guy in the day so I was Sunbeams and Avengers uh, and this this is what everybody aspired to either a, an Escort Cosworth RS or a Sapphire or a Sierra Cosworth RS and these cars are fetching big money now
1: uh, This one here, which is, is going for £35,000 but this is a particularly interesting car for me because this Sierra Cosworth in white is exactly what my friend's dad got when I first realised that it just wasn't fair and some people got fantastic cars yeah, he, he, one of the guys who used to my early days of radio controlled car racing he got called Bruce see so I know what his name was uh, not that one uh, his dad got a, a, white, a white Sierra Cosworth, a Cosworth don't lean on it 2000 two, about 200 something horsepower and it was it was literally the thing it was, it was like beyond exciting and he managed not to get it stolen which was a big problem in those days as well
2: well that's because you could get into them with a paper clip um, turbocharged four cylinder engine sitting up front the 16 valve uh, Cosworth engine and by today's standard not really putting out a huge amount of power there was a 4x4 version as well in the sapphire this is an absolute minter it's got five thousand miles on it and you can buy it on a lease purchase if you want to those recaros they've never made better seats recaros are still the best seats and those recaros are some of the best seats that you can have very very clean inside as you might expect for the mileage um, sitting next to it, another car that we could buy here, Nick. Uh, uh, again, a car, and you might. Well, again, a car that for a long time um, was out of favour. This is a V eight nine to eight GT. Now, nine to eight GT is particularly interesting because that's a manual gearbox car with the correct alloys on it as well. A lot of those have been changed out. The different offsets front to back. Um, this is a forty grand car with 180,0,0 miles on it. It is the uh, five five litre V eight. Uh, As I say, with a manual, limited slip, differential, slightly lowered as well. They built five of these for the uh, drivers at the factory. Derek Bell had one for a while, and he was supposed to give me first refusal on it, but then sold it and traded for a a, a Ferrari. This one in a particularly lovely blue colour, which I am very partial to in Porsches. For
1: a while, these cars looked awful, and now they look right again. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, a car obviously when it's launched is stylish, and then it will go out of every car will go out of style, it has to, because it is it, built of its day, and it's how long it takes to come back, if it ever does. And the 928, I'll be able to tell you, couldn't stand this when came new. I actually got a, my dad bought me, again, another story, bought me a model, a plastic model of a 928 for Christmas, and I couldn't be more disappointed if he'd given me, you know, a, a slap around the head. Um, but now, I think they're fabulous, and you just turned up at like, 40 grand, and I was I was, I was just going, oh, no, Nicholas, you just bought a car, stop it. Um, but they are uh, probably, probably the only Porsche I'd get, to be honest. Um
2: Standing next to it, one of the tran- another transaxle Porsche. This is a nine six eight Club Sport. This will be about 1994, 95, Is it? Yes, nineteen ninety four car. Obviously, I know this quite well because I've got one fairly similar. And in fact, actually, this is, hmm, and I would venture to say that that's a sport, not a Club Sport, that somebody's put the decals on because it's got the uh, Recaro uh, comfort seats in. It's also got the sunroof, which was an uh, optional extra. Um, it's very shiny red. Uh, And it's also got the back seats, which Club Sports didn't have uh, as well. So this is either a very oddly spec'd up Club Sport. Oh, and it's got the cover over the uh, centre console, which neither the Sport nor the Club Sport had as well. So this is a bit of a strange a strange car and, which and
1: illustrates one of the problems with the classic car market because you know you can only go on what people are saying but of course there are many cars which are not what they, but they I'm not in any way saying the people here are in any way trying to misrepresent. it but no you no, no I issue where things are not what they say they are they're very similar they might have a different spec and, they, and the, one of the, things, the key problems is within the, the classic car world is that a car like this, the Club Sport, which looks very similar to the standard car, very similar to the Sport, because it says Club Sport, it's worth many, many thousands more. Even though mechanically, they're very similar as the uh, racing cars get going. And John's peering in here looking for the, uh, the minor details that a Porsche aficionado would, would notice. Well, it's got,
2: it's got the speakers in the back as well, which the Club Sport never had. But you see, you could spec it all up. And the good thing about Porsche is if you check the VIN number on this and go on a classic car site, you uh, will be able to check this out, and now what I'm beginning to think now is that this is a club sport, but somebody spent the extra money for the luxury pack on Which this car. Defeats the object of a lightweight car. Yes, mm. uh, and why didn't you just buy a sport? But actually, that's probably devalued that car at 33 grand. That's actually a cheap club sport, um, but it's not a pure. Club Sport car, you might as well have just had a Sport, which was a UK-only car, which is one of the ones I've got. Only built 206 of them, which was a Club Sport chassis, still Lords, uh, still with the uh, lightweight glass, the uh, less less of the sound deadening and various other uh, various other lightweight options, um, but it had the comfort seats. Uh, the electric windows and mirrors went back in, etc., etc. So, bit of an odd one. That uh, Nick Damon and John Hindhoff at the London Classic Car Show, just having a, a look around a few of the cars. Now, where before we go on and I wax lyrical about more Porsches, where are you trying, Nick? Uh,
1: they're at the other end. I these Heelys. Now, usually about these is you've got their, it's a company called Rawls They they will take a barn find or a regular you know Austin Heely and they convert them to any level of modernisation you want. Uh, with the associated cost. So you look at they've got on the stand they've got a couple of the old ones. Well we've seen this with
2: other marks, haven't we? We've seen it with Jaguars in the past. We've we've seen it with some Porsches where people sort of hot rod them up.
1: But but that's sort of we we've seen that the 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 full quantity, the, the eagle uh Jaguars we're half a half million quid. That's not me. Uh, half a million quid. And these are kind of like take your car, what do you want to do to it? We could, obviously we'll rebuild the engine so it's clean, we'll put proper bearings in it, proper everything else in it. But now how much So
2: they're leaving the original engine in, which some people don't do, yeah, the poor but contemporary
3: engine. Exactly.
1: They're rebuilt they are re blueprinty but not to the standards of nineteen sixty two. They're blueprinting the standards of 2019. Um, and that obviously is, and then they, they say let's have a look at it, what can we have here? obviously what will we do to the engine from there? Will we put? You know, I've had a look around this engine. It's got a, a proper uh, digital electronic ignition. It's running an alternator. It's running, um, you know, electric fan. And then you come inside the car. Do you want to have air conditioning or not? Perhaps not. Awesome. What do you want to do about the safety devices? Yeah. You know, do you want to have uh, the, the infotainment? And it's a really interesting concept because you kind of you sit there and you go, well, is this still a is this still a classic car? Obviously, it's got the chassis, but what is it? What is it? What is, what is where does it fall under the whole thing? It's part of the, the drivability side of things. The
2: engine has Well, the London Classic Car Show, proving if we didn't already realise it, there's a big marketplace for this. To the point, of course, where over the last few years a number of manufacturers have uh, decided to get into the market. One of the earliest ones uh, of that, uh, examples of that, is Aston Martin Works. Uh, They've been around for a very long time. Just down the road, actually, from Nick and I um, at. Uh, just outside of uh, Olney at Newport Pagnell, just off the M1. And in fact, the works dealership, as it still is, you can still go and buy a brand new car from down there, uh, is on part of the old Aston Martin site, long since moved to Gaydon, But they were building cars at Newport Pagnell um, from the almost from the start of their their history. In fact, Ray Malik was a my old boss at Ray Mallock Limited. Was, uh, was an apprentice there and worked his, apprentice, his engineering apprenticeship and a variety of cars here including a very, very, very pretty uh, Volante and what looks to be Prince of Wales spec uh, that car as well. Just underlining though, Nick there is money in this even for the manufacturers.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point you make there, John. First of all, when I walk past here I feel without a lottery win there's not much point even going on the stand but they have got this concept, Aston Martin specifically have have started this, but we're seeing it now with people like Land Rover as well, who will build you a Defender from scratch. Porsche with their classic round the world yeah, now, the what Porsche classic dealers. Yeah, we were at Atlanta, they, they were rebuilding it, basically, okay, thinking, well, hang on, there's a lot of people making a lot of money rebuilding our cars, why shouldn't we do it? And, and that's really the, the ethos when Aston Martin works. I think they, they may have been doing it for a bit longer, it's always been the case Aston Martin, you could bring your car in even 30 years ago and say, I want this done to it, and they go, yes, it costs you this. And whether it
2: was a restoration, which is what we're looking at here, 4,500 man-hours Um, if you're having a full restoration of your DBR1, as it shows in that picture, obviously, Um, or whether you were having a little modification, because Aston Martin works back in the day, Nick, they would have been taking, you know, DB24s, DB4s, DB5s, DB6s, and... Putting a sports exhaust on it, maybe changing the ratio of the steering rack, or looking at the suspension for somebody who either wanted to drive it more or less spiritedly.
1: Or putting one of those old-fashioned radio telephones in. <laughs> but uh, I think yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that has happened, obviously, is, is Aston Martin is one of the marks that has accelerated the most in this, in this take-off of prices of classic cars in the past 15 years. I mean, the... Yeah, I almost, one of our many almost stories, I almost bought a DB6 for 30 grand back in 2002 in quite good nick that would now be worth. Half a million. No, it, 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 probably about 170, I reckon. So I'm, not, I'm the rest man. I only cry occasionally about that. Um, but yeah, and, and, and
2: I've got a Ferrari Dino story like that as well.
0: So.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, of course, when you have a car that's worth a lot of money, it gives you scope to do more to it. You know, because you can still make a profit. I and mean, look, the DB6 Volante here, and the Volante course means convertible. Um, yeah, Much like the the, yeah, the cars we've seen at royal weddings recently. That, that's a five, isn't it? It's a six, it's, it's got a longer all right. tail.
2: All right, okay, very yeah. good. The five it's has good a very short
1: tail. Oh, it was bought to him. Anyway, um, yeah, and they're still worth a lot of money because there are very, very few made the Volante. I think it was about less than a 100. Um,
2: and Prince of Wales spec because uh, His Royal Highness Charles the Prince of Wales um, famously has one of those cars. Yeah, he's. Poor
1: man, poor, poor man. He's had it for a very
2: long time, in fairness. It's not like he's just jumped on the bandwagon. A couple of e types around here as well. What's this that's sitting here on the front of here? Is this a new Aston? Oh, yes, that's a new Vantage, which looks slightly... Look, I love that car, but in white with the gloss black roof. I mean, you can see the family heritage, but it does look slightly incongruous there, doesn't it?
1: It also looks... One of the things you... Big. Well, yeah. Whenever you see a modern car against classics, these are, of course, 60s classics, they just look so large. I mean, it's reason for it. You know, it improves handling, it improves safety and everything else, but modern cars are large. Much like modern drivers.
2: Yeah, it's very rare now that a car replaces a version that is... Uh, that is lighter and smaller than the
1: one it relates I mean, to. It's, it's a good point. If you go back to think about the uh, we talk about the uh, Sierra Cosworth being the, the car to have, but not much power by today's standard, It didn't weigh much by today's standards, so your 225 horsepower took you a lot further.
2: Yes, good point. Lots of people here at the London Classic Car Show. Let's just work our way through where everybody's watching the Grand Avenue as it's called. Um, seen a lot of Mercedes here. Now, I've never been a big Mercedes fan, but I've got to say a Pagoda SL would be high on my list of cars if in the dream Hindhoff garage, and I think I wouldn't have to persuade Mrs Hindhoff too hard either, the responsible adult, to allow us one. There's one here, a body that's uh, uh, been repainted, and it's sitting there. Um, I always liked the 230. I thought the 280 was lovely, but the 230 was a very capable car and very under... Uh, undervalued and underrated. called pagoda, of course, because the hard top um, had a, a shape that was reminiscent of the, the roof of a Chinese pagoda. I remember when these cars were... In fact, you could barely give them away. And in the last, certainly, ten years... There, as, as many others have gone absolutely bonkers, but these really led, I think, the revolution in 60s classic cars.
1: Yeah, I think I think your timing is like yeah, I think it's about 20 years ago they right, w- okay. they went silly, and they kind of uh, what happened it's really interesting because the Aston Martin is, is a fragrance of that. It, as the as the cars drag each other up, it started off with the five took off, then the six took off, then after that suddenly some of the, some of the V8s took off, and now all the V8s taken off, and now it's it's coming nearer the whole time. And these, and in many ways, I suppose, some of these uh, dealers are trying to work out what's next, even though most things have been mind but you're right I'm surprised what, what we've had a look around is obviously not surprising millions of e-types I'm surprised how many healies there are and I'm surprised how many Mercedes there are
2: a few Jaguars as well always a popular car for enthusiasts Jaguar drivers club gathering enthusiast club both here as well and again going back to what Nick was saying about restoration um, the, that, was a, that was a brand that really started the, let's put the new internals into the old
1: cars. But there's actually there's two, not just one, there's two E-type barn finds for sales. So you wonder where these barns are where they're still digging up 19, late, mid-60s E-types, but they're obviously absolutely, genuinely, straight out the back of someone's barn.
2: Right, we have to stop here because this is- Now this is my moment. This is certainly one of the cars that I would drive away. And this is another um, re-imagining, if you like, um, I like the original car, and I would have one. Interceptor uh, by Jensen with the V8 Chrysler motor in it. This is an Interceptor R um, from Jensen International Automotive. It's an all-new supercharged 6.2-litre V8.
1: That sounds familiar. It's uh, Mm -hmm. Actually, I think... Is it a more powerful? Six point two supercharged. I think it is. I mean, unless it's a version of the.
2: Uh... No, I, I think it might. Let, it might be Chevy. Let's go. Let's go and ask this gentleman here. Hello, sir. Who are you? I'm
0: Jack from uh, Jensen International.
2: Right, Jack. has always been one of my favourite cars. You guys have reimagined it and brought it right up to date. Six point two. Supercharged used to be a Chrysler V8 under there. Where does this one come from?
0: Uh, this is a General Motors, right? So, this is the LS3 or LS4? It's, a, it's a LSA, LSA. So it's, right. a, uh, it's actually a Cadillac CTSV or late model Camaro,
2: right? I've uh, driven the CTSV and I know how great that that car is. So, that's good for about what 600 brick or something.
0: Yeah, th- well, this one's uh, 560 with a silver top and um, with a black top in it's about 580. Um, these are the last cars we'll do with these engines in because we're moving over to the new gen uh, LT4, which is the Z 06 engine yeah. uh, with the 8 speed transmissions whereas these have got the 6 speed transmissions in still
2: now what do you say to people who say well, you've taken a perfectly good Jensen here and ruined it what was the condition of this car when it came to you Was it did it need saving
0: uh, well if I'm perfectly honest most of them need saving they're lovely things to look at but uh, these cars are completely usable in an everyday, day-to-day environment, you know what I mean? These are, and these are quick cars by anyone's imagination, and they've got ABS, traction control, heated windscreens, Bluetooth, navigation, the whole nine yards, you know what I mean? This is, uh, Love
2: the single wiper, by the way, that's yeah, super.
0: Another thing, you know what I mean, the, the normal wipers are great in an old Jensen, which isn't comfortable over 60, 70, when you've got the things with this performance, as soon as you get to that, original wipers lift off the screen, um, but so. very
2: subtle in terms of bodywork modifications barely anything at all and still have the, the classic design 5-sport yeah, yeah. alloys as well So yeah,
0: these are our own custom 3-piece uh, wheels, they either come in the 17 staggered or the 19 staggered um, so if I want to drive that away today, what would that cost me? on the road price to do a uh, full R uh, supercharged car is about 295 on the road um, 295000 yeah on the road price. wow and you source the donor car for that do you? yeah for that for that price that's one of our donors we have a selection in the shop um, available um, so yeah that would be a full full delivered to you in a year's time and and
2: how many of these have you done so far
0: altogether i think we've done about 15 20 conversions total Uh, actually full R builds which are supercharged with the interiors paint inside and out about 6 to uh, 8 How many man hours
2: goes into that? Because that doesn't sound like the work of a moment it's not just like oh let's just shoehorn a new engine in and and give it a quick quick, quick flash over in the spare booth that's not what's happened here
0: No, there's over 3,000 hours of work in one of these vehicles to do do all of the body modifications all of the restoration um, and then all the finishing touches Can I ask
2: a really normy question? Which is probably only of interest to people in the UK. Does this stay on the same registration number then, or do you have to get a queue played for us? Yes,
0: no, 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 these are on the original registration um, because of the amount of standard elements that are retained. Um, and there is very little, there's very little modification to the standard suspension points. We are only adding additional strengthening um, and mounting points. So they actually can retain their original registers.
2: I love it. It's absolutely gorgeous, Jack. Thanks for talking no, to us, mate. No worries at all. Thanks for your time. Right, now I've just got to save up. Now, the question is, though, Nick, convertible or hardtop? Top? Hardtop. Hardtop. I think the hardtop. It's got to be. Look, it's look. I can sell this to the missus. It's sensible. It's got a hatchback. I can get stuff in. I can put my gear in the back. I love that. Supercharged. L-plate, so um, retaining at 72? 72, 73, yeah. K and L. Magnificent stuff. Um, Tesla are here on the right-hand side, and they're not the only electric cars that are here. There's uh, an interesting, but to me slightly worrying, amount of um, electrically powered, "quote unquote" classics here. Yeah. From from everything from um, E types all the way down to a Mini. A Mini.
1: Uh, uh, a M- classic Mini. An MGB. Yeah, I mean, I think people are trying to. to Hit the zeitgeist, aren't they? They're trying to make some noise, they're trying to say, Right, look what we can do. We can we can EV a classic car, and then what does it become? Well, it becomes sorry, i used the word, it becomes an abortion. It's what's the point? If you're gonna have an EV, it's a,
2: it's a chimera,
1: yeah, it's a modern car. You, you don't need to EV a classic car. What is the point? It's it, it's one of those exercises, well,
2: except that there will be a time in the future where we won't be able to fire our classics up. No. So, if you want to drive something that looks like a classic, it will have to be yeah, an EV.
1: That will never happen, that will never happen. It, it, it might get expensive, but they'll, they'll never ever ever be not able to run them you might not be able to run them in certain cities but uh, i can't say but i mean if you look at you, know, you look at these fantastic machines here like we have got some of the uh, the pre-war uh sports races over the corner here yeah you, know, you can't imagine not being able to run them just because they run very lovely bentley that's, that's uh, unpopular. yeah you know there'll always be someone who would be allowed to smoke a cigarette so there'll always be someone who's allowed to drive a petrol engine car
2: so as nick and i are wandering around looking at all of these wonderful cars the thought strikes us that we actually can't afford very many of them at all um, Any of them? (laughs) Any of them, okay. So we've come along to JBR Capital, and this nice gentleman here, whose name is?
3: Martin Kennington.
2: Martin, what's, uh, what's your role here?
3: Uh, so I'm head of marketing here at JBR Capital, and we're here for the duration of the show. Um, it's great for us to meet up with our clients, dealers, brokers, that sort of thing. We've got a nice uh, million-pound Carrera 2.7 RS from '73 on the stand. It's a bit punchy for my uh, my pocket, but it's a great car. I
2: told you it was 1973, really? didn't I? I was told that if I could guess the day that it was manufactured, I could take it away, but I don't think that was a, a, <laughs> a serious pitch, to be honest. Um, how big... How? big uh, s- a segment of the marketplace is classic cars for you
3: for us it's sort of 25 to 30 percent of our business um, most of what we do is supercars new and, and nearly new um, but it's growing a lot in uh, in the classic market and equity release is a big driver for that so last sure. year we had a 54 percent increase in the number of equity release deals we did um, that's because people are sitting on these cars worth 100,000, 500,000, million plus, and they think, well, I don't want to sell the car. I'd like to keep it. It's unencumbered, so I'll release some cash on it and use that for property, holidays, other cars, that sort of thing.
2: Because whatever anybody says, they say, I bought it as an investment. But there is a little tug of the heartstrings. It becomes an emotional purchase as well because you don't... Very few people, I would think, actually go, oh, I'll have one of them because I think it's going to return me 8% over the next four years.
3: Yeah, completely agree. And I think we always recommend for anybody just, just buy with your heart and your head. Buy with something you really want. Don't buy it because you think it's going to be a great investment going forward because if you're stuck with it, if the market doesn't work out for you, then you're stuck with a car you're not going to really enjoy. And we love to see these cars out and about being driven. We don't really want to see them in storage no. and, and tucked away like any any enthusiast.
2: So, real-world example then. I've got a... Um, 993 Porsche, Carrera 2S last of the air Cools if I wanted, I I don't want to sell it but if I wanted to take some money out of that and put that into another Porsche, more of an everyday Porsche, maybe maybe even a a newish car, I would come to see you guys and and how would that happen, would you come and look at the car, you'd value it, how would it work?
3: Yeah, it's it's a combination, it depends on the car itself um, how exactly we would um, inspect the asset for example but yeah, likelihood is We'd check out the car, or if it's one that's known to us already, we'd be yeah. more comfortable with it. Um, and then we'd release, say, you know, 70%, 80%, however much you want to release on it. Um, you then get the cash, you keep the car, and there'll be a structured payments going through three, four, five years, perhaps. And at the end of that, you'd have a balloon payment, um, which you can then pay off, and then you're all settled. Or you can refinance that as well and, and keep it going and, and have a bit more cash in the pocket.
2: Which is the way many people buy their normal everyday swap with every three uh, cars nowadays on a PCP or something like that so you're talking about releasing equity but that's, that sounds rather like the, stru- the, the structure of a PCP to me.
3: Yeah I mean if you think about it it's very similar in that way it's like buying a new car really because the difference in what we lend you say it's 80% but in the car's worth it's 100% that remaining 20% is like a deposit on your new car so it works in, in a very similar way
2: and you must then work with underwriters and things like that, to, particularly for your supercar type of things, because if you're going to get somebody to put 1.7 million down on a new Valkyrie, plus local taxes, obviously, you've got to know what that asset, and I heard you use that word, what that asset's going to be worth at, at the end of the, of the period of the structure.
3: Yeah, and the the sort of benefit we have is we're a direct lender, so we're lending our own money. We don't have to go out to other underwriters and brokers. Our own team will do it, um, which means we can turn it around really quickly. Um, We can be very confident in the the value of the car, you know, the asset. And so we can be, uh, yeah, faster, more secure. It's that bespoke underwriting process that is one of our USPs, really.
2: Now, that's all the business side of things. But from what I've seen here and what I've overheard, the, you, like, you guys like to enjoy these cars as well. You said you don't like them sitting as museum pieces. Um, how do you service your clients like that? Things like track days? Yeah,
3: we do track days. So we actually formed last year the JBR Capital Drivers Club where we've done track days at Goodwood, uh, including at the Festival of Speed where we've had cars along from classics to Lamborghini Hurricanes, whatever it is. And typically we'll invite the clients along. They can come along for free. They can take their car on track. We'll have some instructors so they can get the best out of the cars as well. And often we'll put another track toy or two on the car for them to use so they can, you know, tempt it if they want to get something else. But also it gives them a bit more of an experience of of other cars. Um, And these sorts of events, um, you know, Silverstone Classic, those are the kind of events we tend to to go along to. Um, It's a great way for us to to interact with clients.
2: We've been seeing all the way through this programme that classic and historic cars, and indeed classic and historic racing, has massively exploded in the last probably decade or, or so. Is that the same in terms of people who are owning these historic and classic cars? Is it a broader base of people are doing it, or is it just the same people buying more cars?
3: I think it's, it's a combination. A lot of it is the same people who are those serial collectors, but I think in the last couple of years, I mean, shows like this are a great example where you see a lot of people, a lot of younger people who haven't had the experience with the classics, and they think, you know, what, I'll dip my toe and I'll buy a car for thirty, forty thousand, see what happens, yeah. and then maybe they, they get a bit further down the line, and then it is an addiction. You know, getting you, your get
2: forty grand now though, that's. You, know, you, you can buy your standard Ford shopping Mondio or Ford Edge at that sort of price. Now we're not, it's still a lot of money to a lot of people, but we're not talking a king's ransom there, are we?
3: No, exactly and it's a good way to get into it, you know you don't want to get burned, but equally a lot of people who've got supercars, a lot of our clients they might have, you know, a Maserati and a Land Rover as their sort of daily drivers and they've perhaps got a Ferrari for track or for the weekends and they think, you know, I really want to get a classic we've seen a big um, surge in the last year or two of people who've buying the cars they couldn't afford it as a kid it was on their on the wall you know mm. poster cars or maybe their dad had it or coveted it and they go do you know what now i can afford it and yes it's gone up quite a lot since then but they've got the means they've got you know the finance to do it um they have the car and then they can take it out and enjoy it
2: try and find a fast forward an rs or something like that either a sapphire or a, C- a cosy escort or something like that nowadays and you're paying more than i've just bought a 968 club sport for
3: yeah i mean it's it's Crazy money. When we saw things like the RS 500 Cosi, uh, I think it was a year or two ago at Silverstone, went for over a hundred thousand. You think? I, you know, I grew up in Essex, and I saw those driving around with the, the, you know, the big whale, whale tails, and I used to think, wow, you know, great car, makes a lot of noise, pretty fast, but never thought it would reach those sort of numbers. And some of them are very surprising. And, and even here, we've got at the show, there's Dinos and things mm. like that that 10 years ago you could pick up for a snip, and now they're sort of nudging 270, 300. Yeah, don't, don't. I could
2: go back 20 years and tell you a <laughs> Dino story that just keeps me awake uh, at night. Um, what's the, what's the most? Uh, what's the most unusual you've re- request that you've had for for financing of a vehicle? No names, no pack drills. We're not uh, expecting it to break any confidences. Um, we've
3: done some pretty unusual ones. We've done um, some. Well, I could give you the, the name of the car, obviously not the client. We've done the CX seventy five for someone, and obviously oh, really? that was that was never released. Um, so we've done some stuff that's wow. you know very very unusual. Um, people have. Kept How do
2: you value that? A, a car that was built as a concept by Jaguar and Williams. Um, sort of a appeared in a Bond movie as well, so that's yeah. got a, it's got a bit of, of, of heritage there. How do you even start to value a car like that?
3: It's tricky and that one actually came as part of a, a kind of a package where somebody had a large number of um, cars that they wanted to finance and that, that does make it a little bit easier for right. us. If we we're doing them individually um, then we'd be on the sort of lower end of the scale probably of, um, value-wise for them, but they do have a value. There is a market value out there. They're changing hands here and there, and so that gives us a very good indication. We don't have to just rely on auction prices. There's a lot of the private market that you know, we can see the price is going for.
2: And does it surprise you what is now being thought of as classics? We talked about the Ford. You know, Nick's got a, a big penchant for all British Leylands, and he looks at Allegro's and Maxi's with a little twinkle in his, in his eye.
3: Yeah, I think... Uh, it's sort of, we had, we had a piece on our blog not too long ago and it was called the Dad's Classics and it was those sorts of cars where you say, yeah, they had it on there, you know, when I grew up we had a Ford Capri and who'd have thought now, you, you know, they're I don't know what the they are. The car
2: you always promised yourself, that's how it was ad- advertised. Exactly,
3: and I, I hated it when I was a kid and my dad would drive around. Well, that's
2: because you had to sit in the back, I bit
3: I did, and even as, even as a nipper, you know, there was no space for me. But, you know, now it's become desirable again and you think like the old Renault 5 turbos and things like that, that really good cars in the day, but you never thought that they would perhaps reach that sort of cult status. And I think those modern classics, if you like, is where a lot of the market's going. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everybody can afford to get an E-Type now. Um, So, you know, jump in at the sort of the medium and the lower level is a good way to, to get into it.
2: So anything can be a classic. It's in the mind of the beholder, then.
3: Yeah, I think it probably is. Actually, <laughs> uh, I think uh, certainly, you know, the old definition of it being twenty years old plus. I think the modern classic is that other area where it's maybe ten to twenty years old. Mm.
2: Um, is yeah, it's growing. Speculation on cars was a big topic. Until well, it probably still is a big, big topic. That's something that you guys have to be careful of, of course, because looking at some of those cars, there will be people who say, "Right, I'm going to put it away. I'm going to buy this limited edition supercar, and I'm going to put it away, and hopefully that's going to return me. That's going to give me a return on my in- investment." But that's a dangerous game, isn't it?
3: It is, yeah. And obviously, we can never advise people on what future values may be. We'll have our own assessment as where they'll, will well they will be. But we couldn't, we couldn't have said to somebody, even you know, you bought a LaFerrari at, at list on day one, you doubled your money a couple of years later alright we, we maybe do know that's going to happen or we're, we're pretty certain and that has happened for a lot of people those yeah. types of cars, particularly in that hypercar category and the really limited edition stuff. Um, But I think most people are are, are sort of cognizant of that now when they're looking at Well, sometimes
2: it just doesn't work. I mean, mostly if you buy a Porsche that's a limited edition, it goes mad. But the Porsche R hasn't done as well as others because the RS came out straight afterwards. And then the Carrera T that recently came out, a lot of dealers bought those in for stock and have still got them.
3: Yeah, I think uh, that that has happened. And then we've seen other things like, you know, the Cayman GT4s that were over at list. Obviously, GT3 RS is GT2 RS is a different universe of, of, cars and you know the premium that people are paying on day one for those if they weren't lucky enough to get it on list um, is, is really really high. Um, I don't think that's going to change I think that's going to carry on particularly for things like Porsches and Ferraris on the limited edition side. Um, not every mark has that um, attached to it and not all of them do quite so many limited editions but um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how those do in the future.
2: Final thought, uh, we mentioned we're here surrounded by su- some super old cars in all in fantastic condition a lot of these cars have racing pedigrees, in terms of the manufacturers at least, the marks behind them. Classic racing, that's also gone bonkers in the last few years. you involved in that side of things? Uh, we haven't done
3: much ourselves. A lot of our clients do. Um, some of them at the Goodwood Revival and, and other events. And we love to see them because we love to see the cars being raced. Particularly when you've got the genuine article. Obviously there's a lot of recreations out there and it makes sense for those to be out there racing. But it's nice to see the genuine Can article. Can
2: they be financed? Are there's a risk with taking a car on a track though that... If you mortgage a house, then you insure it in case it gets struck by lightning. If you are using a car as an asset and financing it that way, and then you take it out on a racetrack, that's a high-risk high situation.
3: It is, yeah, but it, as long as it's insured, um, then we're comfortable. So it has to be insured for the activity it's for. So typically for a lot of these cars, if they're staying in a garage or just use the weekend, they'll just have you know, their regular insurance. As long as they have the correct insurance for it, right. um, we're happy.
2: Tough question for you then. What would you take home?
3: Uh, for me, it's probably the same every year, and it's the uh, the Dino, the 246 GT. It's just one of my dream cars. You know, I've always loved those classic Ferraris, and that's just a little bit special, a little bit different. I mean, I actually love the Fiat Dino ne- as
2: well. Well, I was going to say, if Dino, the original Dino's never had the word Ferrari on them, of course, have they?
3: Exactly, yeah, and I think it's nice to see them when they've been sort of unmolested like the ones here and you've still got the Dino badges on yes. there because sometimes people stick the Ferrari one on and you know Aye. I know it, it sort of ruins a, a, a kind of classic I'm also a big fan of uh, on the sort of slightly more affordable side is the classic Mustangs you know which you, you can pick up for a good 30 and
2: you could time. use those couldn't you that's the other thing
3: yeah yeah and you still can now and I think uh, availability of parts and um, keeping those together isn't isn't too tricky
2: well thanks for talking to us wish you all the best Thank and uh, can't wait to uh, see one of your track days we'll have a wander down and just Enjoy the ambiance.
3: We'd love to see you there, bring your cars along as well and uh, and have some time on the track.
2: Nick Damon and John Hindorf at the London Classic Car Show. Uh, just having a look around some of the cars on display here. You think, if I say classic cars, mm-hmm. to most people, Nick, they'll be thinking of things like Aston Martins, they'll be thinking Porsches, they'll be thinking Ford Mustang, they'll be thinking old Mercedes. You might not think immediately uh, a uh, 1974 Austin Allegro 1750 but actually these are the cars that there are fewer and fewer of and actually some of them are rarer than the more expensive prestige models of the time because they got looked after better
1: and these didn't, quite frankly didn't Yeah, your cooking car, your bread and butter machine your rep mobile, they got thrashed and then they made it rusty and they ended up on the old uh, the tip before you had to uh dispose of them in a properly salvaged way. I mean, it's funny, I walked in here I looked at the first corner and I thought, I'm not going to see a maxi here. Well, I've I've bettered myself. We've got an Allegro and one with a square quartic steering wheel. Well, this was
2: the the first model, and this one is very rare because this is the 1750 SS. Believed to be only two of these left. This was the top model at launch, and it has the square steering wheel, the quartic steering wheel, four-door with beautiful brown velour uh, and vinyl interior and a black vinyl roof, uh, along with styled... Uh, steel wheels uh, for those of you outside the uk the allegro was uh, an interesting car um, a boot not a hatchback it looks like it should be a, a hatchback but it absolutely isn't black slam panel on the back and it was the staple uh, of many families yeah. in the uk in the uh, mid-70s through the mid-80s to be honest
1: yeah and then it, 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 it's effectively it's the car you would have had if you were a Joe Average, you know, driving around, you know, Coventry or Leicester, and that's the car you had. You know, then it became the butt of many jokes, and then people kind of realised, "Hang on, though, no. let's think about the engine. Let's think what." were trying to achieve with this car let's think what they how they were limited and, you know and, it, and it's this a, is a rare one because it's a
2: 1750
1: I, must have, I haven't seen an ss before and it's uh, You're simply, probably
2: not same one again yet. It's why a, then were these cars you know because just over here behind us in very lovely tartan yeah. green <laughs> is a morris spider 1000 now that effectively was the same car uh, in terms of what it was being marketed as um 15 20 years before um as the Allegro was in the 1970s. Why have have these cars survived and the Allegro's haven't? I think it's... And I should say, not just the Allegro's, but I tried to buy a Hillman Avenger, my first car. Mm -hmm. Try and buy a Hillman Avenger now. There's none left. They were produced in their tens of thousands. Find a Morris Marina, Mm -hmm. an Austin Maxing, as you said. They're down into a few hundred left. Why were those cars of the mid-70s to early 80s and throughout the late 80s, why were they so unloved?
1: I think it's an interesting point. I think it's a a comparative thing. The, The Morris Minor, obviously, of its day, whilst we may see limitations now, was... Cutting edge, mm. and then the Mini after it was cutting edge.
2: Well, so, so um, Alec Issigonis, who found fame with the Mini, had already worked his magic then, on the packaging in the in the minor.
1: And then you look at yeah, you know, when you get by the time you get to the the 70s uh, British cars, they were at best average, and unfortunately due to the industrial strife, often worse than average. So whilst the the general concept might have been okay, the yeah uh, you know, the actual way they were they were put together, the uh, you know the, and and, and Obviously, there's so many compromises. You end up with a car which, compared to its peers, was very poor and therefore also unreliable and also unloved. But if we if we go over here,
2: right now, if so, here you are in the Midlands or the North of England, and you're you're aspiring to a 1750 Allegro SS with all the whistles and bells on. And by the way, that one has got all the whistles and bells because you're driving lights. It's got wing mirrors on both sides of the cars. That would have been. Um, that would have been an optional extra in those days. Meanwhile, in Germany, around about the same time, they are turning out one of the prettiest cars that BMW have ever built. This is a 1971, um, 2002 BMW. And all right, this is the two-door, but with the round rear headlights, not not uh, dissimilar to Mark I, um, Ford Cortina, Ban the Bomb, R- real lights, so it's got it's, it's square it's boxy it's you know it's it's no more inspiring in terms of its styling than anything that the uk was turning out this t- at its time
1: and yet it was built much better um you was know. it or do we just believe that well, now i think the one of the things i would say and and, and By the way, this is lovely. I
2: love... There is a... a a This is just... I love the proportions of this two 002 and the 1602 that went with it. Again, difference... um, Looking at the Allegro, then looking at this, it's still got Velour and uh, vinyl inside, but it's just... Look at that design inside. It's so clean. This, in fairness, is an older design than the. Uh, this this goes back a bit further than the Allegro does. But what did the Germans then get right with these cars? The British Leyland, in particular, but all of the UK manufacturers get wrong with their seventies and eighties car.
1: I think, first of all, just as dismissive, every single car. Be it German, Japanese, British, French, rusted like heck in the 60s and 70s. So it wasn't the and rust. you
2: seldom say rusty cars yeah, nowadays. It
1: wasn't the rust. It was, it was basically, it was the unreliability that was the problem. It was the issue was you got your car out, you got a Japanese car or you bought a German car, they worked. Uh, and they had a certain, yeah, you know, and the German cars had a certain uh, performance functionality about them. Japanese cars in those days were cheaper and better spec If you wanted to take a bit of a Russian roulette with reliability, with had some flair. You bought an Italian car. And the British car, the British cooking car, was left in the middle, as far as public perception is concerned. My dad bought, in 1971, his first
2: ever brand new car. He'd had uh, uh, a 105A Anglia, the one with the silly back window. Then we rebuilt a 1968 sixty-seven OLV 223F, so what was that? That'd be 67. <laughs> um, uh, HB Viva. And then he swapped that in for a brand new, in 1971, Hillman Avenger 1249cc, 1250cc four-door. I remember it was under £800. It was the cheapest four-door saloon you could buy. And that
1: was a fine car. It was a fine car, but, but it was made, somewhat uninspiring. But also you made a good point there. What your dad did in the 70s to the 80s, about like 1970, 1990, was a very rare thing. He was a private purchaser. The British market was completely dominated by the fleet. Every rep had a car, so the cars that were built mm-hmm. were built for the fleet buyers. They're built to a cost, built to a performance spec, built to insurance number. You know, Ford had, I think, six of the top ten positions every year, selling Escorts and Sierras. To you know, I start I'm a junior, junior rep. I got a Cortinas originally. Yeah, then I got an Escort, then I got a Cortina. Right. Oh, look at me! I'm a middle management. I might get a top spec Cortina or an es- or a Granada, but they were literally turned out to be sold through the fleet, cheapest chips, and then. Released back to market three years on, you know, with Mega Mars on, probably already beginning to rust, but they'd done their job for the manufacturer. And Britain was the only market with this company car fleet environment and, and if you look at the, if you, so, the,
2: so there was built in obsolescence yeah. is what you're saying and
1: if you look at the on YouTube some fantastic videos sales videos from British Lailers there's a brilliant one with Robert Lindsay about the Montego how to sell the Montego against its rivals which was I think maybe in the early Sierra or late Cortina and the Vauxhall Cavalier and it's all about the fleet buy, fleet buyer fleet buyer fleet buyer and, oh, and when some personal buyer comes up just knock it up a couple of trim levels and it's the same thing, it's all about, it it, it was minutiae, it was like, it really was what's best on the spec sheet, not what's best in reality, oh I've got two more cubic feet and that was, if you're designing both down to a cost and down to a spec where's the inspiration to come?
2: Right, we've got to find these um, Triumphs for you, we'll just (laughs) nip past these Minis, the classic Mini by the way is still one that I would like, That's actually that's one of the really last of the Rover Mini Coopers, they're starting to get quite expensive now um, I really I really like that. Uh, RS two GT two RS um Porsche alongside me. One of the many car clubs as well that's been um that are showing their wares here and by that I don't mean a Ferrari owners club or something like that. I mean where you pay your money and get a selection of cars to go and play with of a weekend. Oh Lanches. Listen carefully. Yeah, there they go. Fulvia HF in rally spec here. Very nice. And there's the car that I nearly bought. Now, that's one of my nearly cars. Uh, an Evo uh, Lancia Denta Integrati 16 valve. And I was ready to buy one of those until I managed to lose the car that I was going to trade in on it by... Uh, putting it on its roof so that put me back a bit
1: Uh, not not the only one I've heard from Joe no no not the only one I've ever put on its roof Um, (laughs) only
2: available in left-hand drive of course uh, with the big flared quattro style arches don't
1: forget I am a Lancer owner I I had a Lancia beat in Monte Carlo Open the garage Listen to it rust
2: you were the one right more Porsches down here as well nice very nice Bentley Continental Uh, sorry that's a Rolls-Royce Corniche convertible 911 ST in bright lava orange on an H plate, so what's that, 60, 70 that, isn't it, 970, BMW, see now there's an an interesting classic, 850i BMW, I knew somebody who had one of those, drove them, it was a fantastic
1: car, very much unloved at the time. Um, but I mean very much of its time oh, as well and I remember this a friend of mine had uh, had the later one the 840 yeah. and I always remember that he said let's, let's all go down the pub um, I'll, I'll drive you back I'll just pull you back very slightly it has the world's least 2 plus 2
2: no you have it's 2 be, plus it, it, it's no not room even room plus 2 legs. no room for legs where's your times Nick yeah, I right yeah, over there. there he says pointing which is always good on radio nice uh, 911, 911, 911, 911 turbo
0: the, the
2: Carrara turbo time. with a big Wing on. Ah, now here's an interesting car. This is and it's in the auction as well, actually. I'll be interested. No, 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 no. Um, F plate. This is a Vandenlair princess, four liter R. Now, why is this interesting? It's got a Rolls-Royce engine. Correct. Absolutely right. It's got a straight-six, four-litre Rolls-Royce engine. It's very much a three-box saloon. And th- when you were talking about the hierarchy of cars, if you go back to this sort of area, the 50s, and this is a 60s car, I suppose, and this, in many ways, was the very top of the British Leyland pile.
1: Yeah, the only way above this was Alvis and then uh, Bentley. But, uh, yeah, the Vanden Pla, which was... If you remember, if you have some memory, you remember it was this is when Plas was a brand, three, not, not a just trim a trim, trim level. level, because you course you had the uh, Allegro Vandenplaa, you had also the, the yeah, um, and it is a stylish piece of kit It really is very much a scaled up um, Cambridge, isn't it, or a, a, or an Oxford? Uh, very stately, looks lovely, and, it's, and it has remember. a
2: look of it a, a, has a look of the old Mercedes at the back. Look at that three quarter, the the Mercedes of the the nineteen
1: fifties and nineteen sixties, the W one two three, I think. Or, I'm, I'm not you're, very well you're, up on you're me reading that one. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very stylish car. I mean, I'm personally, I'm a big fan of the the cars that look quite similar to the Alves's as well, which are marvelous piece of cruising equipment. But the four-liter Rolls Royce engine, not let's be honest about this, the most advanced engine ever. It's a side valve engine, so it's not. Yeah, it goes. It, it goes back 30 years from when it was still being put into this car. Yeah, I think it was kind of like, a, oh, look, we've got a Rolls Royce engine. Hurrah for us! But perhaps you know that was all they had, which was of a large capacity.
2: Beautiful, love it, and again, very few of them built. Um, Quite a lot of them, percentage wise, have actually survived because people paid quite a lot of money for them uh, in their day. I'm hoping I'm going to see a rover three and a half litre coupe as well because uh, I do, that was always the car that uh, I liked. A disturbing amount of um, modified moderns. Um, what I have noticed here at the London Classic Car Show, lots more um, stands that are useful to people who have classic car: trim stands, widget stands, brochure stands. Um, wheel trims all that sort of stuff that you just can't get hold of
1: we're just sorry, we're just walking past one of those truly unpleasant uh khan modified range rovers it, it's a, a,
2: is it a khan or is it nova finch
1: it's a it's a, it's a car i tell you and do you know who the original owner of this and the big reason they're trying to sell it david beckham david beckham yeah, yeah. that's worth 20 grand no
2: no no it really isn't it that awesome. car's been for sale for about two years now because i had a look that ages ago uh, bmw batmobile oh. two our left but i tell you what though now, next to it, though, now here's a, this is a, the BMW. This, this is a CSL. This is a BMW CSL. Now, this is what I like to call a future classic. Oh, actually, it's got back seats, but I think it it is. Yeah, it is. An M3 CF, CSL so that's uh, with
1: two, the carbon uh, roof. 2007-ish, I think. So um, is that an E42? This, 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 I, I couldn't agree with you, John. This one is definitely going to become a collectible car. Um, they, were, they, were, they were already special when they came out. And interestingly, the premium for this CSL over the standard car was only about £7,000, unlike the, what, fifty grand they're asking mm. for the CSLs now. BMW obviously marketing department has worked out where the uh, price points are. And this car will definitely, if you want to get put yourself in a car, you can drive every day and will make money on that's a good bet. A bit. A bit like
2: some Porsches as well, but I'll, we've done enough with Porsche. Let's just quickly ooh, whiz through here. Oh, oh, SD1, ooh, SD-1, SD-1, SD-1 Rovers. Now we're back on the British Leyland kit as, as well. Now this is an interesting one because this 1979 three and a half litre V8 is here manual.
1: Well, might see another car my dad had. My dad had the uh, the Vanden Pla to link it all in here. The SD1 Vanden Plas with uh, the world's most, the world's strangest um, uh, cruise control. Again, that now we've got time, but it was a fab, and of course with. It is a 70s car. It needs velour. It
2: has acres of velour. This originally owned by a British airways pilot, Captain Norris, um, who had this car uh, in... They were all in weird colours, weren't they? This is a sort of a silver-green... Weird
1: colours. It's late 70s colours. This is the colours of the late 70s. See the only ones look, I have, uh, one I took any to it, look, notice. Look, look, the one next to it is also in a sort of off sort of light. It's, but it's not right. a colour, is it? No, but it's... see,
2: so go over here. We've got the we've got the Vitesse over here. Now this this is in a sort of carmine red, and this is very roughty. We like this. Still cloth seats, so none of this horrible leather. No, no, still manual, as well. And what have we got on there? Oh, we've got we've got. We've got the computer in there as well. Look the, mm. in the center console, average, speed, average ETA, speed,
1: instant consumption.
2: Wow, this what this would be about 1980 car, is it? Let's have a quick look at this 1984.
1: Right, towards the back end, yeah. before they got replaced by the uh, cars which were Hondas, the legends, whatever they were called when they were Rovers 800s.
2: Yeah, um, I love that. That's, that's great, the, the only one I took notice of and the only colour I took notice of is this one over here which is white with a big red stripe down the side, uh, jam sandwiches we used to call them, uh, this one in uh, Lancashire Constabulary colours at the moment, another three and a half litre, used much loved by uh, traffic officers because they were big and bulky and comfortable and when they, oh there's a bullet Mustang over there as well when um, they swapped um, in Northumbria Police Force to um, Cosworth Escorts, the uh, patrol drivers, motor patrol drivers didn't like them because they were a bit bit uncomfortable, apparently. For Caprice, the car you all promised yourself, where's your trumpet? Oh, okay, let's head over. To another M3 there, that's an MV, M3 Evo, actually. That might be, is that one of the Chicotto editions? Which, if it is, is a very rare car. That's very lovely. Only ever produced in left-hand drive. Used to work with a guy who had one of those. Alpina BMW. Look it up, everybody. And over... Where are we? Ah, now you're into triumph. You're into the TR land now. No,
1: what more can you ask? These cars are looking a little little bit shiny than one in my garage. Um, That is a TR4A. It's an American uh, import that's been uh, converted back to the UK. Um, so, yeah,
2: uh, TR4A had the independent rear suspension, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Well, yes, in the UK. In the, in the US, you had, some had independent rear suspension, some didn't, because it, it was the cheaper version. The way, this is very boring. The way you can tell them visually is they have the uh, the outrying uh, indicators on the, on the flank with a bit of chrome going back. And that's Oh, way rather way
2: than to, the ones on the top?
1: Rather than nothing, which the 4A, the 4 had nothing and the 4A has that, but also the 5, it looks very similar as well, which caused the 5 was the first with the 6 in the engine. <coughs>
2: right, right, let's have a little... Look round here. Nick knows all about these, so I'm going to leave him. TR6. TR6. Um, much much beloved of classic
1: cars. Uh, this one, left-hand drive, six-cylinder engine, I think, um, I think the, the and one, on carbs. I think one, yes, well, that's because the uh, fuel injection was a little bit on the... As you know, it's an American car, and American cars uh, were carb-only. They weren't fuel injection. Um, one of the great things about it, if you ever want to see a car, a company that's strapped for cash but, but tries to make the best of it if you actually compare a TR5 and a TR6 they look completely different the TR6 looks modern and early 70s and the TR5 looks kind of like mid 60s in its, in its look and in fact they did that by changing virtually none of the panels uh, just a few of the panels for example the doors are the same Right. The doors are the same. They've changed the other panels a bit, but the chassis is the same. The engines are the same. All the running gear is the same. They managed to just because it's a separate chassis car. So putting on bits of metalwork is an incredibly cheap way to make the car look completely different, even though effectively it was the same. And the six was a Michelotto-style car. Yeah. So you had Carmen before, and then Michelotto for the uh, the six. But I'm, I'm stretching my TR well. knowledge got here. A lot more rubbish I can give you, but uh, yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you have. All right,
2: uh, whistle-stop tour then of the. Uh, London Classic Car Show and uh, I'm, you see there's a Group 44 Jaguar XJS that I have to go and stand by to finish the, this off just to say I've been uh, next to it, I had a couple of Jaguars love it and I love this uh, XJS Quaker Estate car, it's one of the Bob Tullius cars of course, the Group 44s, um, of course, Let, move over just before just as he starts talking, let's move away from that just a little bit, shall we go and stand next to an Alpha for yes, you to finish awesome. off an Alpha Veloce Coupe <laughs> Uh, now, underneath that was effectively, that's a front-wheel drive, so that was uh, Sud underneath, was it? Or is that, No, oh, it's a GTS, that's very nice. That's
1: rear-wheel drive, that's yep. one of the earlier rear-wheel drive ones, yeah. Very nice-looking car, and obviously hasn't survived this far without rusting away, so it'll probably last forever now. Um, if, if
2: I was going to push you then, would it be one of the classic British Leyland machines that you would take, and if so, which one?
1: Uh, I want a stag. I want a. Tri- that's a Triumph
2: yeah. stag. A tri- with the proper with the proper engine, the proper little V eight. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I want a Triumph Dynamite Sprint, and I want to run a P six. So you are you are you've yeah. gone right into early professionals there. Well, that's yeah but you you can have the Hillmans and you can have the Fords, so not the boxes over with as well.
2: No, I'd, I'm never been a Ford. Never been a Ford. I've owned one Ford under um, two litre Capri S. Um, it's the only Ford that I owned. Now, having said that, um, I. would I'd have one of these. Um, this is one of the new uh, Bullet Mustangs. Um, right-hand drive. Uh, V8 2019 Highland Green 460 horsepower and but
1: This is a new car or a classic car show?
2: Yes, I know. I probably can't afford that one, but that's a See that's a recreation of the Uh, of the famous Steve McQueen car don't walk in front of this gentleman as he's taking his pictures Uh, see I had to come round the front to see if it was correct never had the pony on the front so that's absolutely spot on yes I'd have one of those there's no doubt about it but I've got to say I'm very happy with the classic cars that I have my daily 968 driver the 993 for high days and holidays Eves Boxster the 2.7 the last of the six cylinders that will become a classic in a few years time as well can you say that about your Alpha Cloverleaf? Uh,
1: I'd like to. I doubt it. I don't think so. I think the obviously I've got one class in the TR4. I think I think the Alpha the uh, portfolio is a fantastic piece of kit, and it will have people who love it, and they'll run them uh, a long time, and they'll be very reliable. They won't rust away. We'll see them, but you know the definition of classic is very wide. But will it become something which people turn around and go? Ah! Probably not. Even though it's a very good car.
2: So if you won the lottery yes. and you got the big barn somewhere. Yep would you then it sounds like you would fill it with not nondescript cars that that's been a little unkind but you would fi- fill them with the the less obvious not for you then a rolls royce or a ford gt uh-huh. you'd be you'd be looking at the family and middle management and upper management
1: reps cars
2: from the
1: 1980s I have no desire to own any Ferrari, and apart from that 928, virtually no Porsche. And- really? You like That's that, 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 that that your like, Porsche? No, I like that one. that one. I actually thought that was lovely, that particular blue one. Um, no desire to wear a Lamborghini. However, I would have uh, several Maseratis, obviously, um, but they're not massively expensive. And, uh, yeah, a massive selection of British cars from the 70s and because I think you know, it's all about your own memories, isn't it? It's all about, about things that are personal to you. Yeah, the people who buy them for investment are doing it for the wrong reason. You should buy something because you like it and you want it. And if it happens to be a library, And use it. Yeah. If it's a 1100, if it's a, you know, a, a, if you can afford a 356, fantastic. But you shouldn't just buy something because you think it's going to be worth more when you sell it. That's my opinion, a bit purist.
2: And if somebody's got a nice Avenger or particularly an Avenger estate uh, from the really late linked? 1970s, a few, <laughs> um, then I'm interested because I'd love to have that as my daily driver. Uh, Nick and I are going to wander around and have a look at a, a bit more. There's a... Um, via engined MG Rover over there and there's some more Alphas uh, this is, could get very, very expensive. Thanks for being with us at the London Classic Car Show and don't forget our travel partners, Travel Destinations have plenty of historic racing uh, on their books for 2019 and beyond. Have a look www.traveldestinations with an s.co.uk <laughs>